You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Hey, can I, can I just tell you, uh, something? that was my daughter Mia that sang the last song. And uh, thank you. The first two services, I was a crying mess when I walked up and uh, I was able to kind of hold it together for this service. But uh, then seeing my son Xander playing guitar as well. And um, yeah, it was... Um, you know, uh, uh, there's this, this passage in the book of Third uh, John, uh, the, the Apostle John, he wrote three epistles, but in his third one, he said this in verse two, he says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. And, uh, and I, I stood in the back uh, today and I said, I am the most blessed man in the world as I watch my kids serve. And um, <clears throat> so anyway, it's just, it was so moving, so moving to me. But anyway, how are you guys doing? You doing okay? You're not doing as well as me, but I want you to be doing well. So, <laughs> so uh, let, me, let me tell you, uh, when my wife was seven months pregnant with my daughter, Mia, we decided to go out for a walk one evening. And uh, we must have walked probably two miles from our house when uh, she started feeling dizzy and nauseous. And so we stopped. And uh, she ended up just sitting on the sidewalk. And I said, is there anything I can do for you? And she's like, Bob, I'm so sorry to do this. Do you mind going back to the house and getting the car and picking me up? I really don't feel well. And I said, yeah, of course. I said, so just sit here and I'm going to go back. So I just started running as fast as I could back to my house. Funny enough, after about a mile, I started feeling dizzy and nauseous. And, <laughs> but I finally got to my development. And then we were probably about a block in, which is where our old house was. And then I, I had my keys with me. So I just hop in the car and uh, pull out of the driveway, get to the front of the development when uh, I see my wife walking in and, and she hops in the car and I'm like, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, after you'd been gone for a little while, I started to feel better. So I started walking back, which led me to the next question. It's like, how slow do I run? <laughs> that a pregnant woman walking at a leisurely rate can catch up to me running at full speed. And, uh, and it, I think it's moments like these that we come to this thing that we're like, we're not all powerful. But the challenge is, is that we want to present ourselves like we are. That's why we're always doing everything that we can to uh, sh not show ourselves in weakness, not show ourselves in need, but present ourselves in the best light possible. When things are going well, we talk about all the great decisions that we've made. And when things aren't going well, it's not our fault. We blame the devil. And uh, I'm amazed at how many people blame the devil for everything. They, I, I heard a guy blame, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm in debt because of the devil. I'm like, dude, Satan didn't go to Best Buy. You did. Uh, and, and so if Satan didn't make you buy that car. Well, let me stop there. <laughs> Satan's got a lot of people on his team at the dealerships. So let me, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, uh, listen, anybody who charges a delivery fee for a car that's already there is not serving humanity. So just, that's a different sermon, but anyway, but it's just human nature. It's human nature that we want to look younger and trimmer and smarter and more successful than we actually are. By the way, nothing wrong with being those things. Nothing wrong with working hard and hustling. But you know what's even better than working hard and hustling? Working hard and hustling uh, with the favor of God in, in your life. Because the good news is this, is that God really does want to empower you and see your life transformed. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's the story of ordinary people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit 
to change the world. And so we're, we're starting a brand new journey today. We are uh, looking at uh, the book of Acts. I don't know if you know this, but when we started Calvary, our very first Sunday service that we ever did on uh, September 16th of 2020, this was the text I taught. I taught the book of Acts and I did such a bad job at it, I needed to do it again. So that's why we're all gathered together. But, but we're starting a brand new series in the book of Acts. Uh, technically, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Now, what I love about the book of Acts is that we know all the players because we just got done spending a year in the Gospel of Matthew. So we know all the players. And if you're not aware, the book of Acts is really the Gospel of Luke, volume two, uh, because Luke, Dr. Luke, wrote, the, wrote his gospel and then wanted to write a sequel, essentially, about what happened after the resurrection. The gospel of Luke goes from before Jesus' birth to the resurrection. The gospel of Luke takes us for the next 30 years, from the resurrection to probably about 60 AD, and what the apostles did as they took the gospel to around the world. And so, uh, now, and here's the thing that's important for us to think about. There's about, and we're going to see this in our next message, there's about 120 people that are considered themselves believers. And when Jesus gives this commission to them, for them to take the gospel into all the world, there's 120 people. And these individuals accept the mission, and we start reading about how entire cities get transformed. Regions are changed because of the gospel, and thousands upon thousands of people come to know Jesus as a result. And it wasn't just them. It wasn't because the apostles were just had a good strategy that they had cooked up and were making it happen. No, listen, it was, the it was the apostles empowered by the Holy Spirit doing what God wanted them to do and then exercising wisdom and doing, and doing some good things, of course. But listen, for us to live the kind of lives that we desire to live, we need the power of God. Because first and foremost, the Christian life is a supernatural life. The transformation that you've experienced in your life is not something that you could have just done on your own. And you know how we know that? Because if you could have, you would have done it already. Instead, we need, we invite Jesus to change us. We start obeying him and then we watch God do the part that only we can do. And that is giving us a result that's far greater than anything we could have done on our own. Now, this is an, another just important note that's, as we get started. As we walk through Acts, there's several things that I want you to see, but one of them is that Luke, our author, is going to name 32 countries, 54 cities, nine Mediterranean uh, islands, some of them still inhabited, of course, Jerusalem, Rome, Athens, many others that are still inhabited, others that have been discovered archaeologically, but Luke is speaking with 100% accuracy. Every archaeological dig that is done in this area confirms that everything that Luke wrote was right. Now, but here's the thing that's really important. While he's naming all of these cities and leaders and countries with 100% accuracy, he's also talking about miracles that were taking place, people that were being converted, and entire cities that were coming to know Jesus. And listen, the point is, we can trust this book. We can trust the Bible. We can trust Luke because, listen, and we see the people change, that they only change because of the power of God. And you know, here's the thing that I love. All this happened with people that, like, they didn't have an internet connection. These people weren't driving cars. These people didn't have careful memes that they were sharing with their friends. And be like, this is really going to convince them. No, all they had was this, the power of God. And, uh, and you know what's amazing to me? I really believe that God could do it again. He really could turn the world upside down like he did back then. He simply needs a group of people who trust him, who obey him, and want to step out in his power. You ready for it? 
We're going to start. All right, verse 1, chapter 1. Here we go. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that we're going to talk about. If we want to be that generation of people that turns the world upside down and is empowered by the Spirit, there's three things that we're going to look at that God wants to do in us. The first is this. If you're a note taker, God wants my faith grounded in facts. Grounded in facts. Now, there's a lot here, so let's start at the very beginning and who it's being written to. This letter that Paul, uh, that, that Luke writes uh, to someone named Theophilus. Theophilus is a Greek name uh, that means literally lover of God. And scholars generally agree that Theophilus was probably Luke's patron on this project. Now, what does that mean? In the ancient world, and even to this day, a person will... Uh, be a patron. They will pay for someone to do research on a topic and then write about it. Now, this happens at the university level all the time. Governments give research grants. And in this case, Theophilus, most likely someone who had come to know Jesus, hires Dr. Luke to research the life of Jesus and then write about his findings. Volume one of Luke's writings, which is the Gospel of Luke, uh, that one also was dedicated to Theophilus, and I put it in your notes. It says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, that's his prologue in the Gospel of Luke. The prologue in the Gospel of Acts, is, or in the book of Acts, is what we just read here, the first three verses. Now, there's a couple things that I want you to note that are important. In verse one, he says, the former account that I made of all that Jesus began to both do and teach. What he's saying is, everything that's written here is connected to the teaching ministry and the works of Jesus. And we're gonna go through this book, and one of the things that I love to highlight as we teach through this book is that there are moments when the disciples find themselves in similar situations to Jesus that they actually say almost the exact same words that Jesus said when he was in a similar situation. The second thing that's important, it says that Jesus showed that he was alive by many infallible proofs. Now, when I said in the beginning that God wants my faith grounded in facts, the, your faith, my faith, our faith, um, our faith isn't real because it's meaningful to us. Uh, our faith isn't real because it somehow connects with us. If Christianity is true, it's because of facts. And that is that the facts of what happened correspond to reality. And by the way, uh, every person that has set out to debunk the resurrection or, uh, you know, another guy who set out to say that everything that Luke did in the book of Acts was wrong, all these people end up becoming Christians. So anytime somebody tells me, you know, I'm going to research and find out, like, yeah, you go for that. Uh, in fact, I can give you some books of people who did that. Oh, what happened to them? Well, they're all pastors now. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, so go for it. But um, he says this, that all of these infallible proofs were connected to show that he was alive. Why is that? It was C.S. Lewis who said that Christianity, if false, is of no importance. 
if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. And so the crux of Christianity, and if you've been around Calvary, you've heard me say this before, the crux of Christianity is the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, we should pack up and go home because nothing matters. But if the resurrection did happen, then everything that Jesus said and did is of the utmost importance. And that's why Jesus revealed over and over through, as he says in verse three, many infallible proofs that he was indeed alive. And listen, all of us have moments where we have something to prove to show that we can do something, that something did happen. I had this moment a couple of years ago with my son. Uh, my, I guess it was about four years ago or so, my dad bought my son a skateboard, much to my wife's chagrin. But then, um, and he was trying to skateboard. He was skateboarding around the house, running into walls. And so my wife one day hid it from him in the garage. So then it was like a year later, he was in the garage for something. He's like, hey, I found my skateboard. And I'm like, wow, who knows how things get out there. And uh, so anyway, he started skateboarding in the house again, which he wasn't excited about. And I didn't really care what, I, what my problem was. Uh, and I just said, dude, I gave you my name. You got to step up your skateboarding game here because you're embarrassing me. And uh, he has improved. But, uh, and he's like, dad, you don't know anything about riding a skateboard. And I'm like, oh, son, step back. And so now I get on his skateboard in my kitchen and I start skating and I get, I get going and he's following me and I go from the kitchen and I start kind of making the turn to get to the living room. I go down. Uh, I make this hard 90 degree turn. I make the turn and I go into our bedroom and I get done and my son, his mind is blown and he's like, Livy! He calls my daughter, uh, my youngest daughter, Olivia to come see. He's like, dad, do it again, do it again, do it again. And, uh, and then he I say, okay. So I said, we're going to start from here. So I start from, from the, uh, the bedroom. I come out of the bedroom. I make a slight turn. I go down the hall, make the hard 90 degree turn as I get into the living room, go around the living room, make the turn, end up in the kitchen, kick the skateboard and catch it and hand it to him. And the kids start screaming. They just, it, it is, I mean, it, it is, it's madness. And they're like, mom, you got to see this. So then they bring my wife out. Now, here's the thing that you have to understand about me. I live to impress my wife. She's not a person who's easily impressed. I live to impress her. And if you want to, this is why I'm so easily manipulated. Uh, because all I care about pretty much in life is impressing my wife. And so I get on the skateboard because now she's there, which is really the only audience that matters to me. So I'm like, okay, let's do this. And I don't know exactly what happened but I had done exactly as I did before and I'm about ready to push off and the skateboard just kind of gets out from under me and it, it shoots out, rams the wall. I fall flat on my back and knock, get the wind knocked out of myself and, and, and it's just, and then my wife standing over me, she's like, yeah, that's about what I thought and walks away and I was just like, wow, that's, that's tough. Like hitting a man when he's down. But um, now listen, Jesus proved that he was alive to these disciples and not a few of them or some of them, every single one of them. The proof was so powerful that threats, torture, and later death, none of these men ever recanted the fact that he was alive. So that's where Luke begins. This is what we're going to be talking about. Look what happens in verse four. Now we get into the narrative. He says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. 
For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has set in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you pause there and give me your attention, people who change the world, turn the world upside down, we need a faith that's grounded in facts. The second thing, if you're a note taker, is we need a faith that is empowered for service. Now, Jesus tells them, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. And that is, and then he starts tells them that they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to see that in action when we get to chapter 2, where the, the disciples are praying, and then this mighty rushing wind comes in, and they start speaking in other languages, and Peter stands up and preaches a powerful message. But, but when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to really understand that, you have to understand baptism. What is baptism? I'm talking about water baptism. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward commitment. You've come to know Jesus, and now you want in this moment to identify Jesus. You go into the water, according to Romans. You identify with Jesus in his death. You come out of the water. You identify with Jesus in his resurrection. And so you're identifying with him in that moment, in his death and resurrection. The baptism of the Holy Spirit works much the same way. That's why Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. Now, the Word power there, and you may want to circle it in your notes somewhere and just write this Greek word. The word is dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. Dunamis is this Greek word where we get the English word dynamite or dynamic. And so what happens? What happens when this power, this dynamic power comes upon you? Jesus, uh, Jesus says, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So what baptism is in one moment of life in identifying with Jesus, and this is huge, what baptism is in that one water baptism, in that one moment of identifying with Jesus, you'll be able to do throughout your life as you walk with God, be his representative. And that power to be his witness is so strong. The Greek word for witness, you could circle it. The Greek word is martus, uh, where we get the English word martyr. He's saying you will be such a powerful witness that not even death can stop you from testifying of the things that you know. Now, when we define what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is um, in, in practicality. There's kind of three schools of thought. Now, if you're like, this is way more information than I want. So this is a good opportunity for you to check Instagram for a minute. Um, but if you want to know this, and by the way, if you're like, I'm totally not understood, you may be in the wrong church. We're a teaching church. We're not a dancing bears type church, but um, there's plenty of those. But anyway, we're a teaching church. And so um, there's kind of three schools of thought. All right. Now, if, if you grew up in a Pentecostal or charismatic background. This is like one of the key verses, right? Uh, of, of just, you know, all of the Pentecostal movement is the power that comes upon you when you receive the Holy Spirit. And the emphasis is on the power that comes. The emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. And so now there's, so th that's probably of these three groups, you know, kind of three schools of thought within Orthodox Christianity. The first is that there is what is called, you know, some people call it a second blessing or something. But when you came to know Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit, uh, which is, you know, Paul says it's like the down payment, 
right? It's like the engagement ring, so to speak. Um, so you have the Holy Spirit, but there's, there's more of the Holy Spirit that you can get. And so then there's some people that have the at salvation Holy Spirit, and then there's some people who ask for the second blessing and get more of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's one school of thought. On the other extreme is... Um, kind of more the fundamentalist view, and you know, most fundamentalists aren't that fun. I don't know why it's, they're called that, but uh, the fu- more fundamentalist view is you got as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get at salvation when you came to know Jesus. You got the gifts that you're going to get. It all happened all at the same time. So this idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit is more nomenclature than anything. It's describing something that's already happened, and I, I have my issues with that. There's a third school of thought, which is probably in between, which is more where I land, and that is when you came to know Jesus, you did get all of the, as much of the Holy Spirit as you're going to get. However, there are gifts that God wants to give you as we seek the Lord and we ask for these gifts. Why? Because the emphasis of the verse is not about the power. It's not even about the Holy Spirit. It's about what happens when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The emphasis of the verse is, you shall be my witnesses. So the whole point is, is that how can I be his witness? You're going to be his witness when God gives you the gifts that are needed for you to do the ministry that is required. And, and I have an issue with the, the more Pentecostal side because basically it creates two classes of Christians. There's like the Holy Spirit baptized Christians and then like the regular unleaded Christians, like, well, you're not a 93 octane, you're just an 87. And, and I don't see that in the scriptures. Instead, what I see is people get the Holy Spirit, but now, are there gifts that God wants to give us? Yeah, that's why we've got to seek God and, and seek what God wants to do in our lives. And I can tell you from my experience, I remember hearing a teaching on this and uh, being in my little apartment that I had in, in um, I was 19 years old and I had this apartment in Coral Springs and I just prayed in my, in my room uh, for the Holy Spirit to baptize me. And once again, I had read the book of Acts and I thought, man, I'm going to end up speaking another language. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to pray in English, but I'm going to end up finishing in French, you know, and, uh, and I'm going to be able to heal people on command, you know, and I thought, and, and sure enough, nothing happened when I prayed and I thought, I don't think I did it right. So I prayed again. I'm like, let me make sure. And, uh, and it didn't happen. I thought, well, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I'm doing something wrong. The next day, I went to read the Bible, and I had an understanding and a clarity in reading the scriptures that I never had before. I was able to communicate what the Bible taught with an ability that I didn't have before. And what I realized is, is that God was dispensing gifts in my life that were specific for me to be his witness in my Jerusalem, in my Judea, in my Samaria, and throughout the world. Because, listen, the Holy Spirit loves you. And the Holy Spirit knows you. The Holy Spirit created you. And the thing that's amazing is the Holy Spirit isn't just giving kind of blanket stock gifts to everybody. Instead, what the Holy Spirit is doing is because he knows you and created you and loves you, he's giving you specific gifts for you to be able to fulfill your ministry in this world and be Jesus's witness wherever you go. When I first moved to Florida, now my family is from Boston. We moved to Florida. uh, One of my family members from Boston mailed me a Christmas present and I opened it up and it was a red turtleneck sweater. And I remember thinking, it's like a thousand degrees here in Florida. And this is when I had first moved. So I moved in September uh, uh, and, and it was, my blood was still pretty thick. You know, uh, uh, now it's, I'm sure, thinned out. It's probably like lemonade at this point. But, um, but anyway, my, and I just remember thinking how hot it was all the time. And so uh, they said, oh yeah, no problem. And then they gave me my receipt and they said, oh, here you go. And uh, here's your $3.18. 
which means they paid $299, and that was $318 with tax, by the way. And I was just, I was horrified. I'm like, our relationship has been reduced to $299 plus tax. And, uh, and listen, because it just, and it also says, you just don't know me. You don't know my situation. Listen, gifts have a way of showing us not only how people, what people think of us, but how well they know us. Now, let me juxtapose that with something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Um, when I, my wife threw me a party when I graduated with my master's degree. And uh, she, uh, my friends got together at the party and bought me a page out of a 1611 King James Bible. Now, if you will allow me to completely nerd out for like 60 seconds, I would appreciate it. So if you aren't aware, the, 1611, the, the King James Bible, the original uh, King James Bible, is the first English, uh, the first Bible that was translated into English. It was a 20-year project that um, King James of England had started, uh, you know, in like uh, six, uh, 1591 or whatever. And um, much of it was translated by an amazing guy whose name was William Tyndale, and we'll talk about him some other time. But anyway, so they bought me a page. Uh, out of, and once again, you know, um, kind of dealers in art and antiquities and whatever, they get these ancient books. But when, what happens is, is that, um, you know, you can sell a King James Bible for a ton of money, but th- some of these people will say, hey, I could sell a King James Bible, but I could actually sell pages out of the King James Bible and make more money. And so that's what they, they, they this dealer, he had a King James Bible and he was selling off pages. And um, it, the pages were kind of based on how good the passage is, you know, so... It's like, you know, some of those weird chapters in Ezekiel, you can get those at a bargain. And, um, and then, you know, stuff from like the Gospel of John or whatever, super expensive. And, um, but they bought me a page out of uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, where uh, Peter exhorts pastors where he says to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. So they gave me this page from a Bible that is over 400 years old. It was the perfect gift for me. Now, that might not be something you're interested in, but for me, I would completely nerd it out over that. And um, basically, I got it, and I spent 10 minutes preaching to my friends uh, from this passage. And, um, but listen, the, it was the perfect gift, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are just like that. They are God's perfect gift for you based on how you're created, you're wired to be his witness in this world. Now, listen, I'm a Bible teacher. That's my gifting. And uh, by the way, if you want to know if someone has the gift of teaching, you want to know how they react to someone that doesn't know something that they know. If you get frustrated because someone doesn't know something that you know, you probably don't have, have the gift of teaching. If you get very excited, when I find out that someone doesn't know something about the Bible, it's like, oh, oh, fresh meat. You know, I get so excited. I get so excited. Why? It's just because it's, it, teaching is my thing. You know, this, the, the saddest person in the world is a teacher with no students. And so, listen, and people ask me, even the staff asks me, because I'm, like, I'm teaching next week, and, uh, and they're like, why are you teaching Memorial Day weekend? You never teach Memorial Day weekend. And I'm just like, what else am I going to do? You know, I'm like, if I don't teach, but by the way, I'm teaching whether I'm teaching or not. It's just my kids are going to get the brunt of it, because I was just follow them around, t- telling them random facts. And uh, I took my, a couple weeks ago, I took my older two kids to lunch, and, um, and, and I feel bad for them, because sometimes they got to deal with this, but... Um, I spent half the lunch talking about Alexander the Great. And they're like, uh-huh, yeah. And I talked about Alexander the Great conquering the known world, the rise of the Roman Empire. Because of Alexander, everybody was speaking the same language, Greek. Uh, they were speaking Greek, and then Rome took over, and they built an entire road system that was going to connect every place in the empire to the city of Rome. That's why the phrase, all roads lead to Rome, that, that's a real thing. And... Um, 
that it was in that moment of history that Jesus was born. And that's why the gospel went so quickly throughout the known world is because Rome had literally paved the road for the gospel to be spread. And my kids were so polite. They just listened and mm -hmm, nodded their head and they looked at each other like, it's okay, just let him. She's got to get this out. He's got to get it out. And so now, um, so if you want to know what it's like to be a pastor's kid, that's part of it. But uh, now, if, if, you're, if you're saying, pastor, that's awesome. But what about me? Let me encourage you to do two things. Here's what the first thing I would do if I, if I were you. The first thing I would do is pray. I would pray and ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and give you the gifts that he wants to give you. Remember, I said this earlier. I said, if there's something in the book of Acts that we don't understand, we go back to volume one. We go back to the gospel of Luke and he's gonna tell us. So we understand what, what um, Luke is saying, what Jesus is saying that he records because of something else Jesus said that's recorded in the gospel of Luke. Look what it says. Which of you fathers, if your son has a fish, will ask him for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the first thing I would do is ask your heavenly father to give you the gifts that you need to do the ministry that he's called you to do. The second thing is, uh, on your connection card, if you grab it for a minute here, this isn't a drill. I know like 20 people grabbed it. I need everybody, grab your connection card. Grab it and grab your pen. This is important. Everyone, I know if it's like, no, no, my wife is handling that. No, you're a man. Grab a pen. Show us all you know how to use it. And uh, so grab, grab a pen. Here's what I want you to do. If uh, In the prayer request, you will write these words, spiritual gifts test, and, and put your email on the front. Um, I know sometimes people don't like to fill out the connection cards because you think that you're somehow, unless you're in like protective custody, you know, you're in witness protection, don't give us all that. For the rest of us that aren't in witness protection, fill, fill it out. And um, because this is how we connect with each other. But if you write spiritual gifts test, here's what we, our team will do. We'll email you a spiritual gifts test that the, the good people over at Fuller Seminary developed. And if you've ever taken any of these uh, personality type profiles, you know, whether it's like the disc profile or you're taking Myers-Briggs or something like that. It's a series of questions and at the end, it'll tell you uh, what more than likely your top three spiritual gifts are. Now, that's not the be all end all. That's not like Bible truth, um, the, the, the test, but it'll put you in the right direction of what those gifts are. And if you're like, man, I don't know if that's right, then once again, maybe try again, learn a little bit more. But here's my point. Sometimes we read verse eight and we think the goal is the power and the goal is the gifts. The goal is not the power. The goal is not the gifts themselves. The goal is the power that the gifts produce, which is a life that is sold out to Jesus and a life that honors him in how they live. And this is how um, Luke kind of closes this section in verse nine. He says, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to the heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing that I want to tell you, a faith that changes the world, it's grounded in facts, it's empowered for service. And lastly, it's directed by calling. There's something kind of odd about this scene. If you kind of think about it, 
Remember, after the resurrection, Jesus met them in Galilee. One of the many times that Jesus appeared, but he appeared to them in Galilee, and he told them, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I want you to teach them, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. And then they're in Jerusalem, and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go into all the world, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And by the way, Jerusalem is the city. Judea is the greater metropolitan area. Samaria is an even larger part of, this, uh, of the, the region and then the ends of the earth, right? Everywhere. But he's like, I want you to do that, but I want you to wait. I want you to wait until you've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then they say, hey, are you going to overthrow Rome? When he says, when they say, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what they're saying. They're saying, are you going to overthrow Rome and establish the kingdom? And he's like, dude, don't you, aren't you listening at all? And, uh, and Jesus ascends to heaven, and these guys just stand there. I want you to think, think about this. He says, all right, then Jesus ascends. I want you to go into all the world. Okay. And they're standing there for so long that two men, most scholars believe that they're angels uh, because they have this insight, is that they, they explain, they're like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, you know, we're just waiting for him. He probably needed to get his wallet or something, and... And they're like, no, 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 this same Jesus that you saw go up, he's going to come down in like manner. Don't worry, you're not going to miss it. And what does that leave? It leaves the disciples to do what Jesus said and to walk in the calling that he's going to give them. And listen, this is so huge for us. God wants to give you mission and purpose in your life. He wants to empower you with, Holy, with the Holy Spirit and give you gifts to live out that purpose. But remember, your purpose and mission are always connected always connected to Jesus's purpose and mission in the world. Why? For the purpose. That's why it's like, no, not so that we can stare up into heaven and wait for Jesus to come back. It's so we can get about the business of bringing heaven to earth. Listen, whenever someone comes to know Jesus, you lead them to Christ, you give them a book, they, they, they pray and invite Jesus to come into their life, whatever it is, you are bringing in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule of God. It's the place where Jesus is recognized as king. Whenever you pray the Lord's prayer and you say, your kingdom come, your will be done, you are praying for the ushering in of the kingdom of God. And that happens at a macro level when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. But listen, it happens every day at a micro level when people give their lives to Jesus, when moms and dads raise their kids to walk with God. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God coming into a home, coming into a family, and transforming a legacy. You see, I have people say this to me sometimes. They'll say, Pastor Bob, I want more faith. And I'll say, that's awesome. What are you going to do with it once you get it? And, and they're like, I don't, I don't know what you mean. You see, faith isn't something that you sit on. Faith is like electricity. It's, it's, you need it to do something. It empowers you. Spiritual gifts and purpose are the same way. You've been given faith. You've been given the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you spiritual gifts and a purpose, but none of it is so that we just stare at the heavens and wait for Jesus to come back. We expect that and we live like he is coming back. But listen, God wants to give you everything you need so that you can do everything he's calling you to do. And you know, whenever we come to the communion table, it's that same reminder that God is giving and has given us everything we need many times before we even ask it. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward at this time.
and they're going to hand out the communion elements. And here's what I want to invite you to do is hang on to the elements. We'll partake together. But maybe while the band is singing, maybe this is an opportunity for you to pray and say, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit. Uh, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I want God to get, Lord, I want you to give me every gift that I need to really live for you and fulfill the mission and calling that you have for my life. And as you do, you're going to watch God do greater and greater things in you, through you, and for you. Pastor George, lead us, please. How live for the moments when I'm still in your presence All the noise dies down Lord, I will linger and listen It's the sweetest of all Lord, I know my heart wants more of you My heart wants something new So I surrender all Cause all I want is to live within your done by who you are my desire is to know you deeper lord i will open up again throw my fears into the wind i am desperate for a touch done by who you are. My desire is to know you deeper. Lord, I will open up again. Throw my fears into the wind. I am desperate for a touch of heaven. In the Gospel of Luke, the good doctor writes, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake of the bread together. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it amongst yourself, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you for your incredible love for us. And that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Instead, you want to empower us to do your work in this world. And Lord, I pray for every single one of us to be baptized in your spirit, to be empowered by your spirit, to lift up the name of your son. And we thank you for your love for us, for knowing us. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said... Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. 
It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.